The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he said, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. Then he laid his hands on her immediately. She stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Sabbath untie it, but the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The Gospel of the Lord. We have uh, such a beautiful story of liberation in our gospel for today, of this woman being unburdened and set free. And perhaps it's a little bit of a reprieve, especially in this summer, from some hard sayings of Jesus that we've had over the past, past few weeks. Originally, I was going to preach last Sunday on Pastor Bill this Sunday, and when the hammer of God came down last Sunday, I thought, Phew, okay. I've got a nice healing story here, right? So in one Sunday, we've gone from hammering to healing. Now, Jesus here has been invited to preach, it seems, invited to teach in the synagogue, quite possibly, maybe ironically even, by the same leader of the synagogue that gets a bit cross here in the middle of our story. And as he is teaching on this Sabbath Saturday, a woman who is bent over comes into his view. Now, we don't know exactly if she was there because Jesus was there or if she's just a worshiper, but it seems like she's just there as a, like we are today. This is our, our place of worship, and we gather together. But she comes into his view, and it seems that there is not this natural curvature of, of old age but rather an affliction, maybe what we would call Peyronie's disease or something like that today. But this, this thing has overcome her body for almost two decades. And again, without any word from her, without any ask or pleading or waving her hands in the air, it seems, Jesus speaks to her. And I think maybe a visual here is a little bit helpful because I was thinking about the position of her body and about Jesus speaking to her and how Jesus encounters us. 
I think this might be even the beginning of Jesus' improper behavior because in order to speak to her, I wonder if Jesus would have had to kneel down in order to see her face to face and to say, daughter, you are set free. Jesus, that despicable foot washer, gets on his knees once again like a servant so that he might speak to this woman. That's the visual that kind of came into my head, at least reading this story. It may be that Jesus, being so like Jesus, bent or kneeled or knelt down to speak to her. And then his word joins with his touch. They come together in this miraculous moment as the woman is now able to straighten up, to be unburdened, to be set free. We'll get back to that setting free word in a bit. Well, all of this, this healing has interrupted good order of the day, the proper teaching. And while there was some debate in Jesus' day by uh, rabbinical leaders and others on what was defined as work on the Sabbath, what you could do, what you couldn't do, clearly the leader sees Jesus' action as a violation of this law. What's kind of interesting to me and maybe to you as well is how Jesus addresses it. He doesn't pull Jesus to the side and say, hey, you know, come on, not on the Sabbath. Or he doesn't publicly shame him. He doesn't say, Jesus, don't do that. He actually turns on the crowd itself, those who are gathered there. I grew up in the Midwest, so maybe I'm a little oversensitive to this. But I first heard this as a kind of passive aggressiveness on the part of the, of the leader. I don't know if anybody else picked that up. He doesn't want to directly address Jesus. He doesn't want to get in direct conflict. Indirectly, he corrects him through the crap, right? Jesus has done this, but he says, hey, you guys, come on the other six days, not on the Sabbath. But it also seems like while the rules of work, at least in his definition, are violated, the fault is put on those who are lesser those who are in need themselves. I kind of say it in this way. A shaken power structure needs a victim to blame. Happens all the time. We see it all the time. The finger gets pointed at those who maybe don't have a voice or can't stand up for themselves or wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, under any circumstances speak against that powerful leader. And perhaps the crowd that's gathered there that day is an easy target. I don't know have to say that I kind of joined that targeting today. <laughs> because up until into this week, I liked to target this leader of the synagogue. I like to dismiss him. He's the bad guy. Very easy, right? He's the cowboy in the dark hat, not the cowboy in the white hat. That's Jesus, of course. So I want to shut him away. And I, I have to say I did as of our Bible study on Wednesday. I tied him up with a bow and neatly said, yep, the leader of the synagogue, he's the bad guy. A couple of things happened later in this week. I've been talking to a lot of young people this week, which means it's a good week. We have a backpacking trip tomorrow, so I've been talking to some of those folks, and, and there were lots of volunteers coming in to help ahead of, and the day of the, the Ride for Refugees, and some other interactions as well. And it was interesting, I was talking to one particular young person who felt very connected and very welcome in this congregation, 
But it also kind of mentioned, you know, kind of we got talking a little bit and mentioned a few backhanded comments that they had received on a Sunday here or there about their appearance, about what they were wearing on a Sunday morning. And there was this kind of sense for them that, yeah, they were welcome, but all of who they are didn't necessarily fit some kind of particular mold. Something in them was a little bent or a little broken. And it's certainly a time of life when those things can get pretty sensitive. But it hit me. We all have a sense of how things are supposed to be. We all have a sense of what is and what is not good order. And for the leader of the synagogue, there was a way things were supposed to be. In fact, he was in charge of the way things were supposed to be. He was in charge of keeping good order. In fact, there may have been multiple leaders in various synagogues. But they were in charge of that. And there was a way things were supposed to be that was violated that day by Jesus. And then about, about 12 hours ago, actually, something else really hit me. And this one gets a little closer to home for me. I got into a big argument with my daughter last night about something very trivial. Taking the dogs for a walk on a Saturday night. Real sense of urgency and a way that has to be done, right? Yeah, I can hear the kids there like, yeah, we recognize that, right? I was a bad sure. And the whole thing kind of blew up, and there were tears, and there were, you know, raised voices, and all this kind of thing. And as we worked through it, I realized something. I was upset with my daughter because of my, without going into all the details, right, because of my anxieties and my insecurities. And it was blocking her being fully who she was was because of something in myself that I wasn't comfortable with. I think that's part of what's happening here as well, right? The leader is anxious about what's happening. He's anxious about this break. He's anxious for what, whatever reason. Maybe he's anxious that Jesus is exercising a power that he doesn't have. I don't know what it is. But what Jesus does at the, in kind of the middle and end of this gospel is incredibly beautiful. Rather than destroying the leader of the synagogue, and I know you're going to say, wait a second, he says, you hypocrites, right? That's kind of destroying. That's name-calling. But rather than destroying, I think what Jesus does, if we see this in the whole, is he kind of levels everything out. He takes away that power structure that the leader of the synagogue was creating. He elevates and he brings down in order to bring a leveling. And, and in that leveling, I believe Jesus lifts everyone in the synagogue that day up. Here's what he does. He does say, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from a manger and lead it away to get water? And, not, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? And let's unpack that a little bit. Jesus basically says, you got a debate about what is work on the Sabbath? Well, <laughs> I'm God in the flesh. Let me settle it for you. 
you got God's word on Mount Sinai, you didn't need to question that, you don't need to question this. Let me settle this for you. If you take an animal to drink water on the Sabbath, and that's all cool with you, how in the world can you resist having one of your sisters healed on the Sabbath, right? Let's just settle it once and for all. Now, I know it may sound obvious, obvious to us, but Jesus just takes that away, right? So he takes the law and he says, here it is, end of discussion. But what he also says, is he not only talks about this woman, and we don't know her name, but we know whose she is. One of my very favorite sermons from Pastor Bill was when he talks about the power of your name, right? We've, we don't have that necessarily as much in Western culture. Maybe, maybe you're named after somebody important and that's powerful for you, but we don't have that kind of collectively. But who your, who your father was, who you were, who, whose name you, you, know, you kind of bore was everything in that society. And so he elevates her up. He says, oh, not this woman, a daughter of Abraham. In other words, a member of of, of you, your people, your sister, ought not she be healed on the Sabbath? And then Jesus does something else as well. In that day, it was often seen that if you had an ailment or if you had some infirmity or deformity or whatever it might be, that that was your sin or perhaps generational sin. Your parents had sinned so you were born blind or you, were, you have this infirmity because of some sin that you committed. The blame was put on the victim. And we do that so often. We blame the victim. And Jesus says very clearly, whom Satan has bound for 18 long. She's a daughter of Abraham. She's a sister just like you just like me. Satan is the one who's bound her, and I'm setting her free. I'm straightening her out, as he's straightening everybody out that day, I believe. Now, when he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. Jesus takes that power structure and says, no, nah, you're not above. You're with. You're alongside. This is what God sees as justice. I'm not only setting her free, but I'm setting you free from this debate and from this order and this anxiety that you're carrying around as well. I'll set you all free so that you all might be lifted up. I heard a great title for this sermon. I've got a title up there, but a better title um, that someone said in the commentary. They said, this sh- the title of this sermon, or, or your sermon for this day should be The Best Sabbath Ever. Because honestly, this is what is envisioned for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a time to be set free by God's word, by God's touch. And that's indeed what happens very tangibly in this moment. Jesus speaks that word of redemption and puts his hands on this woman. And really interestingly, that word, those words for set free, I thought were going to be something that related to like, you know, forgiveness or being transformed or being turned around or or, or, you know, being straightened, like making the path straight. You know, what it, you know what it links up with? It links up with the people being set free from their slavery in Egypt. Jesus is taking this back to the original intention of the law. And if you want to go, and we don't have time for it today, but if you want to go to, to um, Deuteronomy 5, 15, you'll see that the Sabbath, when the Sabbath command is given, the, the kind of preamble to that or the kind of lead up to that is, I was your God. I brought you out of Egypt. 
I unburdened you. I lifted you up. I straightened things out that were wrong in the world. I set you free from slavery. That's the kind of God I am. I'm an unburdening and setting free kind of a God. I'm one who takes you home. I'm one who connects you with your brothers and sisters fully in the, pe- in the people of God. That's what Jesus links it to. He says, let's go back to the law. Let's go back to what it was given and what its intent was, and it was setting you free. That's where the Sabbath came from. One of Jesus' most powerful words that he says is, Sabbath wasn't made, or, or excuse me, humanity wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for humanity. In other words, it's not something that you need to get anxious about, but it's a gift for you to be unburdened, to be set free. And if you want to see an example of that, I give to you Katie Shaw over here, who probably is like, please don't put me in the spotlight, but (laughs) tough. I don't know if Katie owns a bike, but she's not a big bike rider, am I right? But Katie heard these liberating words of God. She's heard them throughout her life, in her family and in this congregation. She heard these words of setting free. She heard the words of the prophet. What is the measure of your society? widow, the orphan, and the foreigner in your land are doing. That's the measure of your society. She heard those words, and they were so ingrained in her that when she saw this ride for refugees that had happened before, she said it needs to happen again. Was she passionate about bike riding? I don't think so. But she was passionate about those who are burdened being set free, those who are new being welcomed, those who are foreigners having a home and a place and a connection in Christ's name. That's what three-dimensional faith looks like. Jesus has set you free to set others free with your word, your touch, your actions. Thanks be to God. Amen.